Amen, and you may be seated. It has been a great day, hasn't it? I'm glad things kind of thawed out. I hope everything thawed out in your relationships too after my preaching this morning. How many of you picked up on some of those things that we were saying about, especially about husbands decoding what wives are not saying? Did you get that today? And how many of you would say amen to that? Come on now. I know protect your ribs as you say it, guys. Amen. That's right. Amen. You know that God's agape love needs to be applied across the board in every relationship of life. How many of you believe that after hearing the message this morning? Come on. Yeah, absolutely. And the only way that we can do that is if we allow the Lord to live through us. And so praise God, we can have agape love toward our spouse, toward our children, toward our siblings, toward our uh, in-laws, toward uh, our acquaintances and even our enemies. We can show agape love at work. We can show agape love at school. We can show agape love in every difficult challenge of life. And that's what keeps our spirit right and our attitude what it ought to be so that we reflect Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. I'm glad that, that you're back tonight. Uh, before we get into the message of the evening, I want to thank you for your faithfulness in giving. You that are here and you out there on YouTube and Facebook, you've been very, very faithful. All bills are paid, all missionary responsibilities are taken care of, not only on time but ahead. And praise God, don't stop giving. Praise the Lord. We also have a special envelope for you. Give the gift of God's Word with which we are purchasing for $8 these hardback sewn-in Bibles that will go all around the world to third world Christians who could not otherwise afford them. And you're raising money for these right now. We have two more weeks after this week in which to give. I trust that you will give generously. Remember, $8 gets one Bible, but $96 gets 12 Bibles $200 gets 25 Bibles, and maybe God will speak to somebody's heart about purchasing 100 Bibles for people who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford them. God bless you, and thank you for your regular giving and for your faithfulness. Now tonight, I'd like to do this. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would please, to the 11th chapter of the book of Acts. Now Acts is number five book in the New Testament. So if you can find the New Testament, I want you to turn past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you come to the book of Acts. This is the Acts of the Apostles, actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And it was written by Luke, the physician who wrote the gospel according to Luke. And it is a continuation of what happens after Jesus Christ who is ascended in the first chapter, and he goes to the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for us. And then ten days later, after a prayer meeting, uh, the uh, apostles are filled with the Holy Ghost, endued with power. It's a specimen day for this age in which we live. And they are transformed. They are never the same again as they serve the Lord with Holy Spirit power. I want you to come back next Sunday night and I will be bringing a message on being filled with the Holy Spirit and knowing what that is and how that works. But tonight, 
We want to look at those who served successfully. Because God didn't leave us here just to sit. He saved us to serve. Until He calls us home, we're to be busy occupying till He comes. In Acts chapter 11, by the way, let me say, if you've been watching our morning devotionals from the shepherd to the sheep, you saw Brother Ed guest host this week. Did you see him? And guess where he was? He was in Acts chapter 11. I wanted to call him up and say, stop, stop. No, I didn't do that because uh, I thought he was going to take my thunder away from me, but he didn't. He did a good job as he spoke on Acts 11, 23. We'll get there in just a moment. And so let's turn in our Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 11. The book of Acts is the blueprint of the New Testament church. I spent over a year teaching it when I first came as pastor 19 years ago. All right, let's, let's look beginning at verse number 19. We're in Acts chapter 11, verse number 19 on down. It says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, underscore Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Let me give you the background. In that first church in Jerusalem, which was made up of completed Jews, Jews who had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior, uh, they uh, were told to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But they stayed around and the church grew. According to Josephus, one of the early Jewish historians, the church at Jerusalem grew to a, a membership of between 50 and 100,000 people. Can you imagine that? A huge group of people. Now they didn't have a church building. And this building is not the church. The church is the people. The folks that have been saved by grace through faith, been scripturally baptized, they're part of the assembly. That's the church. And so the church, when it would assemble, would assemble outdoors or would assemble uh, perhaps in Solomon's porch there at the temple or some other place, but they didn't have a church building as such. They were all, remember now, they were all completed Jews. They were all those who had come from a Jewish background and they found that Jesus, Yeshua, is their Messiah. They've received Him as Savior. But then something happens. There is a Pharisee of the Pharisees by the name of Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Now he is going to become the Apostle Paul, but he is Saul of Tarsus. And among those believers, there were some deacons, some spirit-filled deacons, and one of them was named Stephen. And he preaches, and early on in the book, uh, he is preaching and he is taken and, and is stoned. He gives his life as a martyr, the first martyr. Stephen dies. And the Bible says that they laid the coats, the murderers laid their coats at the feet of Saul. So Saul was uh, in favor of the stoning of Stephen. He thought he was doing God a favor by killing off these fanatical saved Jews. And really... God was fixing to do something with Saul of Tarsus. Now that, that started a scattering of the Jews. And it says in chapter 8, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. That's chapter 8 of Acts. And sometimes the Lord will permit 
a persecution to get us to go and do what He wants us to go and do. And that's what He did in Acts chapter 8. And so they, they left. They left out. And most of the church then was scattered. It didn't stay around Jerusalem. They had gone. And we're reading now in chapter 11 that they were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose. And they went as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch. I want you to underline Antioch. Preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Now look at verse 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So some of those that were scattered came back to Antioch and they found some non-Jews that were of Greek extraction. They were Grecians. And guess what? The folks who had been saved were thrilled to share. They were serving the Lord by sharing what they already knew. Jesus said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. And he laid out where that witnessing would take place. A witness is somebody who under oath tells what he or she knows. If you are a witness for Jesus Christ, then you're sharing Jesus Christ. Amen? You're telling other people about the Lord Jesus. So that's what these fellows were doing. They were telling the Grecians. And the hand of the Lord was with them. The Bible tells us in Isaiah that God's word is like the rain that falls to the ground and it will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose that God intends. And when we preach Jesus, people who hear about salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ want to be saved. They want to receive Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. And so these, as we see here, in a great number, verse 21, believed and turned unto the Lord. A great number believed and turned unto the Lord. I'm always glad when I hear about people getting saved. I'm glad when you lead someone to Christ. I'm glad when someone gets saved through someone else's witness. That's wonderful. We all rejoice in that. And so we now have the raw materials of what is going to be a church that's explosive in growth. God wants our church to grow. Now you say, well, we need to try this effort or try that campaign or do this advertising or do that activity. The way God wants our church to grow is by multiplication. We go into all the world. We preach the gospel to every creature. We tell people Jesus is the only way. We make it very clear. We're not trying to be ugly or mean about it. But you're not going to get to heaven by joining a church. You're not going to get to heaven by doing good works. You're not going to get to heaven by abstaining from certain things. While all those things have their proper place, the only way you're going to get to heaven is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'm a way. The way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Are you good with that? Say amen. amen. All right. Verse 22. Then tidings of these things. Of what things? Of Grecians, not Jews, of Gentiles getting saved, becoming part of this new thing that's happening up at Antioch. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas. Barnabas. Barnabas, the son of consolation. Barnabas, the encourager. Barnabas, who's going to be partner with Saul, who becomes Paul. Barnabas, that he should go as far 
as Antioch. So Barnabas, you're going to take a trip. We're going to, we're going to have you go up there and check this thing out and find out if it's for real. Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he saw the results of God's hand, was glad and exhorted them all. So he had a little preaching, a little teaching, a little encouraging meeting to get them fired up. He exhorted them all. And that with purpose of heart, that is, from down deep inside, they would cleave unto the Lord. Now that's what Brother Ed talked about in his guest devotional this week on my program. And that's good. He said, what does it mean to cleave? Now, there are two meanings. One, one meaning, if you cleave some wood, you cut it in two. But if you cleave two things, you join them together. So it actually means both things. It depends on how it's used. And so they were exhorted that from the heart, with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. Walk close to the Lord. That's what Ed was talking about. Walk close to the Lord. How close are we walking with Jesus right now? How near are we to the very heart of God? How much do we want to please the Lord Jesus? This old life isn't about what I want. It's not about making me happy. It's about pleasing the Lord. So they were exhorted by Barnabas. Now they're brand new believers. And he's saying, now here's what it's all about. Here's what all, it's all about. Uh, with purpose of heart, you need to stay close to the Lord. You know what I'm telling you tonight? There are a lot of people who are going to give you a very long and complicated recipe for success in life. I'm going to give it to you nice and simple. And this is straight from Barnabas. And it's recorded by inspiration by Luke in the book of Acts. Here it is. Here's how to be successful. Walk close to the Lord. Stay close to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Barnabas, it says in verse 24, where he is a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added to the Lord. Barnabas didn't have to do anything fancy or frivolous. All he had to do was reveal good character. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Going to talk about that next Sunday night. And of faith, he believed what God said. Faith isn't making it up as you go. Faith is taking this book, the Bible, and believing every word and acting upon it, applying it. God will give you the wherewithal to do what this book says. You can have a life that's lined up with this word. You can have a marriage. You can have a home. You can have a business that's lined up with this book. And you can get it together. And you can be successful and praise God for that. And so much people, a lot of folks were added unto the Lord. A lot of people getting saved now at Antioch. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. So he's headed out to find this new convert who's gotten saved. Saul got saved two chapters before this in chapter number 9. He's on his way to Damascus. He's going there with letters from the high priests, the religious leaders, to find these new believers, these Christians, and persecute them and put them in jail or even kill them if necessary. And he's on his way and God, God strikes him with a bright light. He hears the the voice of Jesus, he falls to the ground. He says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He's wonderfully saved. He's converted. He's taken into the city. And there uh, he's blind for a while, but then he gets his sight back and, and he begins to preach. He gets on fire for God. So Barnabas goes to find Saul. He knows that God's got something for him. If you would encourage every new believer, if I would be a, a strong encourager, 
to those people that have gotten saved. They may not have every, every duck in a row. That doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit will get your ducks in a row. Come on now. It's not, it's not up to me to get your ducks in a row. The Holy Spirit will get it all lined up. Praise the Lord. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. Keep that in mind. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called, what? Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. Now this is apostolic days. We are not in apostolic days right now. We're past the apostolic days. But in the apostolic days there were prophets and they were bringing the word. They were bringing it fresh from the Lord. They had come from Jerusalem to Antioch and there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit there would be a great dearth throughout all the world. He predicted, he forecast a famine which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. That's an infamous name. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. Back down in the, the realm where they had come from, uh, in the area of Jerusalem. And so they were giving. They were given out of the heart. You say, well, that, that's what we ought to do. We ought to take care of poor folks and hungry people. And we ought to do all these kind things for people. Yes, we should. We should do it from the heart. I object to the fact that the government wants to take it from me and disperse it like they know better than the Lord does. I believe that Christians know from the heart how to give. The difference between socialism, communism, and Christianity is this. Socialism and communism has some administrator that takes it from you and they decide where it goes. Christianity voluntarily gives it. That's what we do. And those of us who are fundamental Bible believers... We can end up, because we're ministering to people that have less or are needy, uh, we can end up ministering to them and, and do more in passing, uh, more or less inadvertently or by accident, than a lot of other folks who claim to be great givers do on purpose. That's what happens when you get involved with people and you find out uh, that they're, they have spiritual needs, emotional needs, they need to be encouraged, they need to be told how to conduct their life, how to, how to have a successful life, and you've been saved a while, and God's done a work of grace in your life, and so you're helping them out. Well, then you end up doing things like that for them, and pretty soon we're not doing those things to gain points with God. We're doing those things because those flow naturally from people who have been saved, been touched by God's grace. which also they did, and sent it to the elders, look at this, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas and Saul, who becomes Paul later on, are part of the process. These, these are relatively new believers, but they're getting involved in the lives of people. And tonight I want to encourage you, you out there on YouTube and Facebook, I want to encourage you to be led of the Spirit of God to get involved with people and share Jesus Christ and get involved with their lives and help them to grow in grace. And don't be judgmental of them, but just love them. Love them the way Jesus would love them and help them along the way and bring them along. And you're going to be amazed. The church is going to grow and your life is going to be better and you're going to be a success. Dale Carnegie was no professing believer, but he used to say the way to be successful is to make everybody else successful. And I believe that. If, if we will do what God is calling us, touching our hearts to do, we're going to help other people as they come along in their Christian walk. I've read these verses, and I'm going to make application. 
I'm going to teach you some things tonight. I want you to take notes. I want you to write these things down. You out there, I want you to take some notes. I want you to pay close attention. We didn't come here tonight by accident. God didn't give me this message by accident. I have no idea for whom this is intended. I have no idea which point is for which person. But I know God always lays on my heart the thing He once said. And I want to be His spokesman tonight. So let's pray about that, shall we? Father, we thank You tonight for the Word of God which we have just read. We've gone through it verse by verse. We've made some historical uh, references. We've talked about some things. We've explained some things. But now, Lord, tonight I would ask that You would help me to make the applications, to give the illustrations, to let the light in the windows of our understanding and help us to go out of this place determined to serve You because we love You. You have given life to us and we thank You and we praise You in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. My message tonight is entitled simply Antioch. Antioch. The name Antioch has special designation. It was the name, or a form of it, was the name of several kings of Syria. And one, at least one, philosopher, and I'm sure lots of kids got named Antioch or Antiochus. It is a Latinized Greek word that means resistant. You might say stubborn, but I think, I think resistant is good holding out against the opposition, holding out against the enemy. And I believe that really can apply to us tonight, this whole thing about serving the Lord. We serve with gladness, but we're not, we're not a bunch of snowflakes. We're, we're not just a bunch of airheads. We're, we're not just a, a, a bunch of naive folks. God gives us wisdom, and God gives us holy backbone. He gives us that determination to hold on, to hang on, to serve, to not give in. We're to hold fast. We're to hold forth. We have those phrases throughout the New Testament. Whatever God has given us to do, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, do it with Thy might. Don't do it half-heartedly. If God calls us to serve, and He has, then let's serve with every ounce of energy that we can possibly give. Let's do everything we can to stand upon the promises. Let's do everything we can to be consistent. Let's not be, let's not be flaking out. Let's not be in and out, up and down, and on and off, and, and inconsistent. Let's be like Antioch. Let's be resistant to anything that would erode or tear at the, at the foundation of the truth. Let's stand upon the truth. Let's never give in. Let's never give up. Why do we need to be that way? Anybody remember the second law of thermodynamics? I'm not trying to get technical. But the second law of thermodynamics is basically this, entropy. Entropy. Things are going to get worse. They're going to break down. Remember studying that? It applies across the board in every field of science. Entropy. It is a universal law of, 
of our existence, entropy. And we are in a thing called the mystery of iniquity. We read about the mystery of iniquity that doth already work in the New Testament. That's the tearing down of everything that's good and godly. That is the destruction, that is the eroding of everything that is moral and right. That is the tearing down and the diminishing of anything that stands for that which is good and of the Lord. Thermodynamics, the second law, that's it. So Antioch represents being resistant to that. I know that there are some things that are inevitable. I know that one day this whole world is going to end. And people are worried about some irresponsible leader, maybe in Korea or Iran or someplace, pressing the wrong button and the missiles going off and the warheads striking various targets and then back and forth until everybody is obliterated. Let me tell you, if you read your Bible, I read in 2 Peter that this world is going to fervently melt. The elements will fervently melt. But God is reserving that for Himself. God's going to do that. And He's going to do that just before He gives us a new heaven and a new earth. So it's not going to happen till then. I'm not saying we should be irresponsible in our leadership or in our stewardship or care of this planet. But I know that there's absolutely nothing that we're going to do. If I, could, if I could just give you a little preview of history, I know how things are going to go. I've read the back of the book. I know how it's going to end. But we are dealing with the mystery of iniquity. We are dealing with erosion. We are dealing with what Paul wrote about later. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said, This know also that in the last days perilous times, dangerous times shall come. We're living in those days right now. And there is a bulwark. There is a fortress of faith. It's called the pillar and ground of the truth. It's called the local church. God has given us something that people don't think much about. I'm glad that we are a little higher on the food chain as far as when polls are taken, people at least respect us more than they do Congress. I'll just say that. Lord, help us to stay ahead of the politicians. Amen. Amen. There have been many great churches. Jerusalem, the first church, was a great church. I already told you that According to Josephus, it got up to 50, 100,000 members before it was scattered. But then it diminished. Ephesus. When I think about the churches of the New Testament, the church at Ephesus in what is now modern-day Turkey, it was a mature group of believers. But they left their first love. They diminished. Timothy was their pastor through good times and bad times. I'm thinking of great churches that have existed in the past that don't exist anymore, Gabe. The First Baptist Church of Fort Worth, pastored by J. Frank Norris, the Texas Tornado. At one time, it was the largest church in the world. It exists no more. I'm thinking about the great church pastored by my friend, Lee Robertson, now in heaven, Highland Park Baptist Church. I'm thinking of other churches that were great, large churches. Back in the early 1970s when 
I first entered the ministry. We were first married. I got the sword of the Lord and I, I devoured every word of that publication about rapidly growing, soul winning churches. And every one of those publications for the year that we were in Dalton, Wisconsin, I would open it up. Every week I would get a copy. It was a weekly in those days. And the middle section, there was a four-page section on some rapid-growing, soul-winning church. I would pull it out and put it in my file. We had a year of those, 52 of those. I looked at them recently. Over 30 of those churches do not exist. They do not exist. I'm not here to cast stones or to be judgmental or to be hard. I'm just here to say there have been great churches, but not all of them still exist. You say, what's the greatest church? The next group of God's people who determine that they're going to have the will of God. They're going to cleave to the Lord Jesus. They're going to walk with Him. I'm telling you, the greatest church is the next one where people give themselves to God. I do not know what the configuration of churches is going to be at the end of the COVID era. I have no idea. I thank God for IT. I thank God for the outreach. And we may be here and scattered and all around, and we may have church people participating in their area, wherever they might be, all across the globe, and that's all right too. We'll fill up every one of these pews right here at Central Baptist Church where we are central. And there may be satellite churches all over the globe. And that's all right too. And I have faith to believe that God can do that. I don't know how or when or under what circumstances. This past week we had two that tune in thousands of miles away ask us for a large amount of our smiley face tracks so they can go around their neighborhood thousands of miles from here and give out our tracts that tell people how to be saved and go to heaven and then get those people lined up to watch us on YouTube or Facebook. I don't know how the church is going to be configured, but I still believe the same God who has given us the Great Commission will give us a means, a way to carry out what He's commanded us to do. Psalm number 1 tells us about the man, the man who doesn't settle, the man who does not compromise. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth He meditate day and night. My wife has helped to get this fire lit. She just heard about somebody who's memorized the New Testament, other parts of the Bible. And I've told you about Dr. Van Impey now in heaven. He memorized the entire Bible. I've told you about my mother who knew 500 passages of Scripture and reviewed them every day, could quote them. Even when she was nearly 100 years of age, she could quote all those Scriptures. When we get to heaven, I want to be able to tell the Lord I've not only read His Word, but I've memorized large portions of it as well. We need to be ready always to give an answer of the hope that lies within us. We need to be willing and ready to do that. 
And I want to be among those that will encourage you to do the same, to memorize the Scriptures. And in His law doth He meditate day and night. And He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth His fruit, or its fruit in its season. In His season. Right now, this is our season. This is my season. This is your season. This is the season of the children coming up. And those who will be born, that will be their season. And we need to be fruitful. We need to be planted by the rivers of water. We need to get our roots deep. We need to get into the Word of God. We need to bear fruit in our season. The disciples... We're called Christians first. At that great example of a church, it was multi-racial, multicultural, multilingual, and that's what the church, the New Testament church should be. We are a patchwork quilt. We are a cross-section of society. And the church at Antioch and this church are the same in that way. What kind of church was Antioch? And what kind of church should we be for the Lord Jesus Christ? I want you to mark this down. I see in verses 22, 23, 24, 25, and 26 that that church was an on-fire church. They were preaching. We see it. They were reaching. They were teaching. And we need to be a preaching, reaching teaching church that's on fire. Number two, I want you to mark this down. Not only were they an on fire church, and so should we be, but they were a functioning church. A functioning church, and show, so should we be. They were, as we see in verse 29, a giving church. They were giving from the heart. They were a praying church. They were a going church. If you read on into the 13th chapter, you will see that there were teachers, there were those who were trained, they were trainees or interns, among them Barnabas and Saul who became Paul, and they were, they were prayed over, hands laid on them, the Holy Ghost uh, sent them forth, and they went out as the first missionaries, as the first evangelists, they went out, and they evangelized the Mediterranean. They reached souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a giving church, a praying church, a going church. They were functioning. They were on fire. They were functioning. And we can't, we can't listen. We can't stand on the promises if we're sitting on the premises. We need to be busy about the Father's business. And then I want you to see one more. They were a standing church, a faithful church. On fire, functioning, faithful, Antioch, to be resistant, to stand, to stand for the truth, to stand for the fundamentals. I believe every word of the Bible is inspired and preserved by God. If you believe that, say amen. I believe there are no mistakes in this book, amen. God helping us, we're going to live by this book, amen. And we're going to love people like Jesus loves people. And we're going to accept people like Jesus accepts people. We're going to go after precious souls 
so they won't have to spend eternity in a devil's hell. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm first on the list, and so are all of us. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages, the payment of our sin is death. That means separation from God, our soul from God and everything that's good and wonderful forever in a terrible place known as hell. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, it's a free gift, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If I said to you, this pen is a free gift, look at me, it's a free gift. What do you have to do to make it your pen? You just have to take it if I offer it to you. Now, the Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So I'm putting the pen in the Bible. There it is. Now, if you want the pen, you've got to take the Bible. If you want eternal life, you've got to take Jesus Christ as your Savior. How hard is that? We can explain that to anybody on the street at their doorstep. We can explain it to anybody at the place of work. If we've got five minutes, ten minutes, we can say, I was looking through the Bible, and man, the bad news is we're all sinners, and we're all on our way to hell, and that's a terrible thing. But you know what? Here's the good news, that God provided eternal life as a free gift, and all we have to do is accept that free gift. It's like if I put the pen in the book or in the Bible, all you've got to do is take the book or the Bible, and you get the pen. Jesus Christ is the one we receive in order to receive eternal life. What does eternal life mean? That means, listen to me, eternal life means all our sin debt. All our sin debt is covered by, taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ, paid for by His death, burial, and resurrection. All, all the sin, all of it, past, present, future, every bit of it, paid for in full in terms of salvation. Doesn't mean that you won't have a struggle. Doesn't mean that you won't have problems. But if you trust Jesus Christ and you take Him as your Savior, He takes away your sin and He pays your sin debt. And this is for everybody. This is for the youngest person here. This is for the oldest person that you might talk to. That's what you get. You get eternal life. This is fundamental. This is basic. If, if churches don't have that, they don't have anything. That's the starting point. That's the beginning point. May we be like the church at Antioch resistant to compromise, resistant to change, resistant to things that will take away the very nature and the purpose. This church is a gathering of God's people. All of us are just sinners saved by grace. And we have accompanied ourselves together. And we've been willing to be baptized to show that we've, we've died to an old self-willed way of living. And Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead to save us. And someday we're going to rise from the dead and meet Jesus in the air. Henry Ward Beecher was a great and famous preacher in the early days of our nation. And a horseman went to Henry Ward Beecher and said, Mr. Beecher, I have a good family horse. I want to sell you. He's a good saddle horse, a good buggy horse, a good carriage horse. He works double with any other horse and on either side of the wagon tongue. He is a good all-around horse and a good team worker. Pastor Beecher said, I can't buy your horse. I don't have enough money. But I sure would like to have him as a member of my church. Works good, works hard, does it all. He's there. Listen, got a test for you. Like that horse. Do we have to be asked to do the work of the Lord or do we listen to the Holy Spirit and do it? 
Am I willing to fit in wherever God needs me or am I holding out for a better position in the kingdom? Am I willing to work along with someone who does things maybe a little differently than I do, sees things a little differently? Am I willing to work with them just like those horses under the yoke work together? Question I want to ask you tonight. Because we can be like Antioch, if we choose to allow the Lord to work through us. What is stopping us from being like Antioch? What is stopping us from being like the church at Antioch? Do you know that there are two streams of Bibles? The one I'm holding right here, the King James Bible, is the only one in the English language that comes from the stream of Bibles that came through Antioch, the Byzantine stream of Bibles. The uncorrupted text. This is the only one in English that comes from the Byzantine. Now, a few hundred miles away, there was a place called Alexandria, Egypt. And in Alexandria, Egypt, there were some people. And they were crooked and rotten to the core. And they took the manuscripts and changed the words so that blood, the blood of Jesus, no longer appeared. It was the death of Jesus. And the virgin birth of Jesus Christ making him sinless disappeared and Mary is no longer a virgin she's just a young woman and on and on Jesus Christ is not actually God in a body he's not very God he's just a good enlightened man and out of Alexandria came all the other rotten Bibles that we have out there that are corrupt but Antioch stood they refused any corruptions the scriptures, when they were copied, were diligently compared. And if there was a mistake, they would throw out the manuscript, destroy it, go home, take a bath, come back, and continue with their copying. That's how diligent they were with the Byzantine manuscripts. Today, there are approximately 6,000 manuscripts and portions of manuscripts from the early days. 5,500 of them are the Byzantine text. We're talking about the Antioch Bible. 500 are the intentionally corrupted of Alexandria that all your other corrupt so-called small b Bibles come from that tear down the truth, that tear down what the Bible has to say. 500 versus 5,500. I want you to think about that. When we talk about majority text, we mean majority text. We mean we have the evidence. Now, the devil's not stupid. He had all of these Bibles in this stream written on vellum, on animal skin. Whereas most of these over here were written on papyrus, paper-like material taken from the reeds that grow in the shallow waters. God still preserved His Word. He promised that He would keep these words and they would be tried like silver in a furnace seven times. We've got the seven times purified Word of God in the English language for the English-speaking world. Antioch. Antioch stood for this Bible. I want to be like Antioch. I want to be like the church at Antioch. How about you? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in that message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. Amen. Put your hands down. I know that God is working right now. Let me ask you a question. 
Do you know for sure if you died right now that you'd go to heaven? You say, how can I know that? If you've received Jesus Christ, if you can remember a time when you prayed and by faith you really believed and you called on the name of the Lord and you asked Jesus Christ to take away all of your sins, past, present, and future, and come into your heart and life and be your Savior. If you can remember that, that's when you received Christ. That's when you were born again. That's when you were saved. If you cannot remember that time, or if it's a little cloudy, or if it's a little blurred, you're not positive, right now is your time. You've come here tonight for that purpose. That's job number one. That's the main reason you're here. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anybody. Anybody. So pray from your heart to God. I'm going to say to young and old alike, if you're not sure you're saved right now, pray from your heart, not out loud, but silently. Breathe a prayer from your heart to God. Here it is. Just pray. Dear God, pray from your heart. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior, as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die and take me to heaven when I die. Let's keep our heads bowed for just a moment.
born again.